message I want to bring to you this morning is something that has been on my heart um, since July this year. It's something that God's just been speaking to me over and over again, and it's something that I've spoken out of our youth team and over our youth ministry, and this morning I want to share it with you. So, and it, it's, it's a message, the message is about around the culture of how we speak, the culture of how we speak. You know, I've... Being in youth, I've had the opportunity to hang out in, in schools and around a whole bunch of young people. And, you know, some of the stuff that I hear gets said in schools and, and when I'm out in public with the young guys, it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, uh, it, it really shocks me sometimes. I, I remember we went through a, a bit of a fad last year in schools where kids were telling each other to go and drink bleach. Like, um, I've heard kids say all sorts of horrible things to each other. I've heard kids tell other kids to go and kill themselves, that they're worthless. And, you know, the scary thing is it's not just in schools anymore. Like, it's scary enough that it is in schools. But, you know, I work, with, I work at Woolworths on the weekend and I work with this great young guy, great young guy. And he has a learning disability and he's a bit slow and it t- takes he can't handle, like, complex directions. But he's the nicest young guy you'd hang out with. And I've seen my bosses um, send him out to get stuff that's not there and then he'd come back and they'd shout at him. I've heard people in the aisles over um, calling him dumb and stupid and, and all sorts of things like that. But very recently, this great young guy, he got, he got a new job and he was so excited about it. And um, he, he started working there and I saw him a few weeks back at Woolies and, and I came up to him and I gave him a bro and I'm like, how's, how's the new job, man? And he looks at me and he goes, it's great. The hours are great. The pay is great. Um, you know, but it makes me miss this place. And I'm like, why is that? And he goes, the bullying culture there is so bad. My boss picks on me. The guys on the dock where I work pick on me. The girls in the makeup section call me ugly and stupid. And I'm like looking at this great young guy who, you know, he has his struggles, but He's a great young guy. He's so eager to work. And he misses a place where he got bullied a little bit less. He misses a place where one or two people did, didn't do just the right thing. They just did the decent thing and were just nice to him. You know, I really feel like we're in a culture now and we're seeing a generation come up that's okay with a little bit of bullying. They're okay with a little bit of unwholesome talk. They're okay with a little bit of gossip and a little bit of people talking behind their back. Because that's the culture we live in. That's the norm. That's, and that's kind of scary. And I was thinking about that, and God led me to this verse in Romans 5, and it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's, God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, I think as a church that we're called to be a counterculture, that we're called to represent a different culture to the one that we've got. We're called to represent the culture of heaven, God's culture, kingdom culture. You know, right now we live in a culture where there is no value and no responsibility placed on the words that are being said. You know, you know I've, I, even I've gone through times where I've said things just because I was in that mood, just because I wasn't feeling up to it. And, you know, I've got, 
a whole bunch of verses here that I feel really give us a great insight into the culture of heaven, into the values of what we speak. And some of those verses are pretty scary. I want, in Proverbs 18.21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. That's pretty powerful. But I think about the fact that we're created in the image of a God who spoke the universe into existence. Our God spoke and He created billions of stars. He spoke and He created the planet. He spoke and life came into us. And I have, to th- I have to go, if we're created in his image, then our words must have power. You know, I think about some of the things that I've said that, that have affected people's lives. Um, I, think about, um, I think about lost dreams and ambitions, missed callings and opportunities, people who have left jobs and churches and ministry all because of just one thing that might have been said about them. Our words have the power to build atmosphere or kill it. Our words have the power to bring in the presence of God or chase it out. You know, I think about mornings where I've walked into church and I haven't slept well or I've been in a bad mood the day before or whatever. And, you know, you come in and and Dan's up here and he's all chipper and looks like he's had three coffees. And I'm walking and I'm like, oh, look at Dan. He's like, look at him. Like... I'm killing atmosphere just in those moments. Another verse that, that I came across was Matthew 12, 36. And it says, I tell you the truth. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Every idle word. And Matthew 5, 22, it says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Like, that's heavy. That's scary. But, you know, I've said a few idle words in my time. I've, I've said idle words to my brothers and sisters when they woke me up too early. I've, um, when, I, I was, when I was living in Russia... I, I learnt Russian in three years. I could speak fluent Russian in three years. Now, my parents sort of speak Russian now, but they've been there for 12 years and it took them forever. But I quickly realised when I was a kid that I could walk around the house swearing like a sailor in Russian and nobody would understand what I was saying. I'm responsible for those words. We had young people living in our house that I could have been a better example to. I think of all the people that I've said things to out of in a bad in a bad mood and in a rage and I'm responsible for those words in Matthew 15 18 it says the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them what comes what's in here is what comes out of here you know the bible talks about the words that we speak over 85 times and in those 85 times a majority of those verses say that if you're in a bad mood, if, you, if in here's not all right, then don't say anything. I'm like, I wish, I look back and I go, I wish there was times where I had said nothing. I wish there was times when I wasn't having a good day that I could have been a little bit quieter. Because I'm responsible for those words. You know, what these verses tell me is that the culture of heaven, words are powerful. Our words are so powerful. 
The second thing that they tell me is that the culture of heaven is deliberate and intentional about what they say. And that the culture of, in the culture of heaven, we are responsible for our words. It's not good enough for me to go, I was in a bad mood and I said that. I'm responsible for those words. You know, in, in Ephesians 4.29 it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, the culture of heaven is deliberate about what they say. And if, if there's nothing to say, then it doesn't say anything. You know, there's two guys in the Bible that I think just totally understood the culture of heaven. They just got it. They, they just knew God so well and they knew um, the culture so well that they just lived it. One of those is Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to read it, but I'm, I just want to share this story. Um, so in... Abraham was this amazing guy. God called him out and Abraham just followed God his whole life. And God promised Abraham a son. He promised that he would be the father of nations and he was going to give him a son. And Abraham waited. Abraham was 100, 100 years old when God came through with that promise. And I don't know how long, but I'm assuming it was like, it must have been like 70 or 80 years that, God, that Abraham had to wait for this promise. So Abraham finally at 100 years old gets this promise and a few years later, God comes back to him and goes, Abraham, I want you to take your son, this promised son that you love, and I want you to take him up this mountain and sacrifice him to me. And the crazy thing in this story, the crazy thing that just blows my mind, Abraham just goes, okay, I'll do it. Like this promise that he's been waiting for. And I, th I, I have to imagine that Abraham struggled with that, that it wasn't just this easy request to follow, but Abraham knew God. So Abraham gets his son, gets some servants, they go and chop down some wood and they're walking up the mountain and Isaac, the son, turns to Abraham and goes, hey dad, we've got the wood and the oil and everything, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham just goes, God's going to provide. At this point, I'd be going, God's lost the plot, I have no idea what's going on, um, you're on your own. I, I had, but Abraham just like, God's going to provide. They get up to the top of the mountain, Abraham ties up Isaac puts him on the fire, gets the knife in the air, ready to go, and God stops him at that moment. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't have kids, so I find it hard to relate. But if God asked me to give up my, my car or my Xbox or, or, or my creature comforts, I'm going to be questioning it. I'm going to be going, you know, God, what's going on? You know, I think we might do the Christian thing. You hear that voice like, Luke, I want you to give this up, and I'm going to be like, God, I'm hearing the devil. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You know, but Abraham just knew God's voice. He knew the culture. You know, another guy that I just go, got this, is Job. Job is, you know, you know how we know Job is a good guy? Because at the very start of Job, God is humble bragging about Job. All the angels are walking through heaven and God's going, hey, have you seen Job? He's awesome. I love Job. He speaks my language. He's awesome. I love him. And eventually Satan comes through and presents himself before the Lord. And God goes, hey, have you seen Job? The devil's like, oh, he only likes you because you give him stuff. And God goes, fine, take it away. So the devil does. In one day, Job lost his kids, 
his, his livelihood, his, his livestock, his house, everything. He lost it all in one day. Servant after servant came in and goes, oh, your kids are all dead. Oh, your crops are all gone. Oh. And Job just doesn't say a word. He gets upset. He cries. He rips his clothes, but he doesn't say a single word against God. The devil comes, the devil comes back to God and goes, he only loves you now because he's still got his health. And God goes, fine, take it away. Job gets covered in this like leprosy boils all over him. He's unclean. He can't go home. He can't go into town. He ends up this broken man sitting out on a pile of ashes with pottery scraping out the pus out of his wounds. And he still doesn't say a word against God. His friends come to him and go, Job, just give up. Curse God and die. His wife comes to him and says, Job, just give up. What have you, you've got nothing left. Curse God and die. And still Job won't say a word. I'm pretty sure he goes through a Bible study with his friends. Like, this guy has lost everything. And he won't say a word against God because he got it. You know, I, I look up to these guys and I go, I want to be these guys. I want to be the guy that when God says go, that I just go. When God says give this up, when God says this, I'm the guy that just goes and doesn't say a word. Because I, I want to understand that culture. I want to be the guy that God humble brags about. I want to be the guy that God can look down from heaven and go, that guy speaks my language. That guy gets me. These guys had crazy situations and circumstances and totally held true to God. They totally understood the culture of heaven. You know, it just blows my mind. You know, the next verse that I want to share with you guys is a verse that is a verse that I that God gave me about two weeks before I took over our youth ministry, and it's a verse that I've spoken over our team. It's a verse that I've now spoken over our youth ministry, and you know it's a verse that's just so in my heart right now. And I feel like it's a verse that where God just said, "This is how I talk." It's um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12. And it says, For you know that we have dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into, into his kingdom and glory. You know, I love that verse. I, there's something about it that God's just put on my heart and I just can't get over it. And... There's five points in this verse that I want to break down for you very quickly. And point number one that I want to break down is encouraging. Encouraging is massive. Encouraging is so important to what we do. You know, um, that verse in, in, in Proverbs where it says, power of life and death is in the tongue. Encouraging is that life section of that verse. You know, we have... I've been on this platform maybe four or five times now. And every time I've gotten off this platform, no matter how well I think I've done, you know, I get off here sometimes going, what the heck did I just say? I can't even remember. But I get down and at the end of the service, the first people to come up to me, there's like four or five, three or four amazing ladies that will be the first people to come up and give me a hug and go, that was amazing. Um, Elaine and Joan and Julie, like, Every time I get off this platform, they come up and they're like, you did really well this morning. You know how good it is for me? To, uh, you know how easy it makes it to get back up here um, 
uh, the next time after knowing that there's these ladies who, you know, they're a bit further on the journey than me. They've probably heard some amazing preaching, but they're coming up to me at the end of the service and going, what you said this morning had an impact on me. What you said this morning, I th- it was from God. That's really encouraging to me, and it makes it so easy to go further. I want to encourage young guys. I love our youth guys sitting in the front row. It's so good. It's like Friday night. It feels good. You guys, you know, let older guys know that they're, they're having an impact on you. Encourage your older guys because, like, it's going to, it helps us do better. It helps us keep going. Point number two is comforting. You know, I, comforting is something that I'm terrible at. I always stuff it up because I'm just, I don't know, I'm just bad at it. And I always mix, I feel like I always mix encouraging and comforting up. You know, someone's having a bad week and I'll come up and go, man, you've got this, you're going to be, you're going to do so much better. And that's the last thing they want to hear. The last thing you want to hear when you're having a terrible day is someone coming, oh, tomorrow's going to be so much better, man. Like, you know, it's, that's terrible. And the thing that I've learned about comforting is it's more about coming alongside that person, walking the journey with them. You know, it's those gentle moments. You know, um, Vince is one of my best friends. He's my best friend. And um, something that we do when we're in a bad mood is, you know, we've had a terrible week and we'll just be like, you know what? Get in the car, I'll pick you up in 10 minutes, we're going to Macca's. And we'll just hang out at Macca's for like three hours at midnight, telling stupid jokes and stupid stories and eating stupid food. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know someone's there with you. Someone's walking the journey with you. Someone cares about you. You know, that's what comforting is. But, the, you know, comforting is so gentle. And God is a great comforter. You know, I've, I've been through some stuff in the last few months, some struggles, some, some frustrations. And over and over again, I've just felt God just go, it's okay, son. I love you. I'm with you. I'm going to walk this journey with you. You know, it's been a real journey for me learning how gentle God is. Point number three is urging. And I feel like there's two parts to urging. The first part is being an example. The first part of leading people on, pushing people on into Jesus is be an example. I want to make sure that the words that I speak are an example to other people. That when I'm walking into church, whenever, wherever I am, when I'm going out on meetings, that I'm urging people on to Jesus. That my words, my lifestyle, whatever, is, is an example to how Christians are supposed to live. But the other part of that is I want my words to always point to Jesus. Every time I, you know, if I'm having a meeting with someone and, and they're telling me about this new job, I go, I want to be going, hey, God's really blessed you there. If someone's having a, word, a terrible week and I'm, I'm there comforting them, I want to be going, hey, God's with you. God's walking with you. I want to be pointing to Jesus all the time. And I think Abraham was a great example of that. When they're walking up the mountain and Isaac goes, hey, where's the sacrifice? Abraham must have been struggling inside. He must have been. He must have been going, this is my son. I love you. I don't want to kill him. But instead of going, God's bonkers and I have no idea what's going on, he's going, hey, God's going to provide. Whether intentional or unintentional, he was pointing Isaac back to to God. He was going, God's got this. God's going to come through. I don't know whether that was Abraham's hopeful thing or what, but 
he pointed him back to Jesus. And like Jono shared this morning, Jesus on the cross, suffering in pain, um, humiliated, betrayed. And he's there hanging on the cross, dying, going, Father, forgive them. He's pointing all of those people, all those Roman soldiers, all the Jews that are standing around there, he's pointing them back to God. Point number four is only God calls. You know, when I, when I um, started my diploma and um, I really felt called to full-time ministry, one thing that Joel, who was my mentor at the time, said to me, and it stuck with me, is that we want to be so careful that we don't call people to us. That if I was to ever leave a church, if I was ever to, God was ever to call me somewhere else, if people left because I left or people followed because, because followed me to another church, then I haven't been doing my job right. And I just feel so, so, it's so important to me that if I lead people to me at any point in my life, I haven't been living my life right. If, if I'm, you know, I want my life, the most I could ever hope and wish for it to be is a massive flashing sign that points to Jesus. Right now, it's more like a rusty falling down sign, but the most I could ever hope to be is a big, massive flashing sign that goes Jesus that way. You know, I want my words that I speak to be like the voice on Google Maps. I never want to be the destination. I want to be, going, I want to be the guy that goes, hey, go straight, roundabout left, and Jesus is there. You're at your destination. That's what I want my words to be. I always want to be pointing people to Jesus. Point number five. You know, at the start of this verse, it says, for you know we have dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. You know... I don't want to just deal with people like our Father. I want to deal with people like the Father. I don't want to love people like our Father. I want to love people like the Father. I want my life to, to come from Him. I want the words that I speak to come from Him. I want to see people how He sees them. The week that youth went back, I was sitting in my office and... There was, a, there's a, there was two or three kids that I just could not connect with at youth. Um, over the last few years, I just could not connect with them. I, they were kids that they talk over me and they drive me crazy. And I, just kids that used to just frustrate me. And these were kids that connected so well with Joel. Joel just connected with these kids so well. And I was sitting in my office. It was the week that youth went back, the first night that I was going to be looking after youth. And I felt God just say to me, you've got to connect with these kids. And I'm sitting there in my office going, God, I don't know how to connect with these kids. They drive me crazy. They make me angry. They talk over me. They, you know, they don't listen. And God says, you need to connect with them. And I, I got up and I, I said, I'm going for a walk. And I walked out and I walked around the block for about 15 minutes. And I just started praying. And I was like, God, I need to see these kids the way you see them. I need to love these kids the way you love them. I need to speak your words over these kids. And I kept saying that and walking around the block and I kept saying it. That night was one of the most amazing youth nights we've ever had. I just saw these kids in a new light. I had words that I just didn't know where they came from. I wasn't getting angry or annoyed. I just saw these kids how God saw them. 
and God loves them. You know, that's a prayer that I've started saying before every single youth night. And it's not just about those kids anymore. It's about all of them. Every single one of them. Because I want to see every single one of those kids the way God sees them. Because the way that God loves them is so much better than how I love them. It doesn't matter if I connect on the the most amazing kids that, like kids that I've just absolutely loved. Because there are kids that I just absolutely have a massive heart for. But now, as I go into youth on a Friday night, I've got God's heart for these kids. When I say that prayer, God comes in and he does something and he changes something in me where I can just connect with these kids in a new way that I never could. And the words that come out of me aren't really my words. They're his words. And I see them in a completely different way. And it's just so amazing. It's such an amazing thing. And it's something that I've started praying when I go into a pastoral meeting. It's something I've started praying when I'm coming into church because... I really feel that when I see these people the way that God sees them, it's so different and it's so much better and they're so much better looking and so much, you know, God sees them so differently and it's so amazing. So I want to love like the Father, not our Father, the Father. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start to wrap up if the band wants to come back, but... I just so feel this, I so hope this morning that you don't feel like I've bashed you over the head. I really do, because I really want to encourage you that Generation City Church is well and truly on the way to being all of these things. We have amazing people that are so encouraging and so comforting. We're a church that urges people on to Jesus. We're a church that, that know who we are and know who we're leading people to, that we know that God calls. We're a church that I truly believe are loving people like the Father. And I think that one of the things that I think is that if we want to keep that momentum up, if we want to keep moving in that direction, if we want to keep pursuing that, then we need to be so deliberate and so intentional about chasing that culture. Going, I want to represent the culture of heaven. I want to represent my Father in heaven. I want to speak his words and his life. You know, the thing that kills culture the fastest is complacency. Is taking that culture for granted. You know, I never want to take God's culture for granted. I never want to be complacent in not pursuing that because that's when it dies. You know, Pastor Marty spoke last week about posturing ourselves for a season of grace and favour. And I feel like the language that we speak is a huge part of culture. And if we want to, part of the language that we speak is posture, is that part of that posture. The language that we speak is part of that posture of posturing ourselves for grace and favor. You know, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you love us so much, the the way that you see us, the way that you speak to us is so gentle. And Father, I just pray right now that we would be a church that represents your culture, that we would be a church that's so encouraging. We'd be a church that is so comforting. We'd be a church that urges people to live the way that you want them to live. God, I pray that we would be a church that knows what we're called to do and we know that you've called that we're always directing people to you. And Father, I pray that we would just see people the way that you see them. 
we would speak the words that you want to speak and we'd be a church that loves like you. I just thank you for this in your heavenly name.